0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, November 10th, 2020. Happy anniversary, Gabby and Jake. I'm John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me as always, Executive Editor Abe Greedwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior Writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah.
1: Hi, John. And happy anniversary to Noah and Jaron. It's our, it's
0: our
2: eighth today. Oh, congratulations. Oh, <laughs> yeah,
0: that's amazing. Congratulations. So, it's a big one,
1: eight. Eight is nothing
0: big. To do it's, it. it's infinity. <laughs> right. <That's what laughs> no, you turn that, it on its side, yeah. it's infinity.
1: Oh, that actually so, does impart some relevance to it. Cool. There we go.
0: So, uh, uh, okay. Um, so we have a uh, general freak out over election fraud on both sides. Is there election fraud? Does Trump have the right to pursue his agenda in court? And is should the justice to put, did Bill Barr authorize Justice Department investigations into voter regularities, or did he merely send a message to U S attorneys saying, if you see voter regularities of such a size and quality that they might overturn the results of the elections in localities, you are authorized to look into it. Um, but not saying you should look into it and not saying you have to look into it and just saying that only if it, it rises to the level of election-changing possibilities. Uh, so total freak out, various directions. Uh, I have one thing that I want to say because we've said a lot about Trump and his behavior over the last week, that uh, I was seeing this poll yesterday, not that I want to cite polls that much, but the results are pretty lopsided, so you can figure that they're pretty close, right? That something like 70% of Republicans don't have faith that the vote has been counted accurately. YouGov poll, Morning Consult YouGov. People are like, there it is. You see, they were only 35% before the election. They're 70% now. You see, there it is. Trump has undermined faith in the voting system. And I'm like, good, that's terrible. It's really terrible to undermine faith in the voting system. And then I go looking at the Economist YouGov poll in 2018. And here is what I see in the Economist YouGov poll. In 2018. Uh, November 4, in fact, this week in 2018, two years ago. 67% of Democrats believe it is definitely true or probably true that, quote, Russia tampered with vote tallies in order to get Donald Trump elected, unquote. Two years ago, Stacey Abrams, running in Georgia, lost by 60,000 votes would not concede. There was a recount. She lost by 60,000 votes. She still says that the election was stolen from her, and everybody in the Democratic Party is obliged by custom to support the contention that she had the election stolen from her. So when Mitch McConnell yesterday said he wasn't going to be lectured by these people about what should happen, I think that it would be better if he and the and the you know and the gr- gray eminences of the Republican Party went to Trump and said the 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 gig is up or the jig is up or whatever you say and it's time to give it up. Uh, but I'm not getting lectured by every journalist that I sat on an MSNBC panel with, who credulously informed me that the Russians had. Gone into our voting machines, Natasha Bertrand, for example, and ten others that I could name. Abe, um, I think if you
3: were to take that poll of Democrats today, you'd find a number not much smaller. Um, there are at least at least for aspects of the of the Russia collusion scandal that have not proved to have. Uh, actually occurred, um, it's still a live conspiracy theory about the 2016 election on the left. And that's, so we're not talking weeks after, uh, we're not talking uh, days after an election or, or a week after an election. We're talking four years later.
2: And I think it's also worse than that, because it wasn't just the media, which had a a sort of financial incentive to, to gin up outrage on MSNBC. It was people like Hillary Clinton calling Donald Trump an illegitimate president for four years. People like Jerry Nadler calling him an illegitimate president refusing to go to the inauguration. These are Democratic Party leaders actively and frequently calling the duly elected president illegitimate, that does have an effect on people's trust and faith in institutions. So I agree, John, to hear the lectures now about how this is, you know, unconscionable. Well, they have extremely short and convenient memories. Uh, Also, Also, right up until the point that Biden
3: won the talk among them, among this, this, this segment of the left, was that Trump was going to steal the election. That was the only way he was he could win and he
0: knew it and that was that was what he was trying to do. Yeah, hey, let's go into that for a minute, right? What were the election stealing fantasies over the summer? Louis DeJoy. Remember the postal service conspiracy? So now by the way, the postal service conspiracy has now flopped onto the other foot because part of the claim in Pennsylvania is that the post office ballots came in without postmarks the post office agreed to send things through without postmarks in order not to timestamp them in order to move them more, more rapidly. That's the evil Trump organization, the Trump administration using its levers of power over the postal service to control the mail-in vote. That is a, was a live conspiracy through October. And I can tell you that, you know, friends of mine were very, very committed to that that narrative. Suddenly, this was the most wonderful election that we've ever had. Can you believe how little voter fraud there was? Or voter suppression? So there was no voter suppression because the Democrat won. I'm waiting to hear about the voter suppression in districts. You know, what about the voter suppression in South Florida that somehow gave those two Democratic districts to Republicans. What about where, where, I mean, I, at some point we're going to start hearing that split off and turn into that. My point is that this has become a very convenient partisan tool for everybody. And this notion that we're supposed to turn around and, uh, and, and, and accept uh, the contention of these hypocritical babbitts who intone with great, uh, you know, pomposity about the sanctity of the ballot and respecting the results of the election, when they actually were peddling the notion that Cambridge Analytica, using a Facebook algorithm, succeeded in brainwashing millions of voters into voting for Trump rather than Hillary. A ludicrous contention on its face that a Facebook ad was somehow going to, had a hypnotic message buried within it that was going to get you to change your vote and win the election for Trump. And that was a, not only was it a mainstream view, I would say that this view of Facebook's role as having been material in Trump winning the election is a conventional view. It's a totally conventional view. This is why Facebook is going to end up getting, they're going to change over the next five or six years, there's going to be a change in antitrust law. Weird, uh, there's going to be a weird uh, alliance between right-wing people who think that Facebook is, uh, you know, Facebook and the social media are biased against the right and leftists who think that it has created too much power and is helping the left and they're going to get together and pass a new form of antitrust law. And break up Facebook and the social media companies because they still believe in this totally preposterous idea and they're telling us or they're telling they're they're saying that the Republicans are and are being cynical and using uh, you know using this notion of voter fraud uh, to gin up the base and get everybody crazy I mean I, I think there's a lot to that, but they should just shut the hell up Noah.
1: I have a whole lot to say on this, actually. Um, Yeah, everybody, we've been talking about this yesterday, but everybody's addicted to the sort of pace of events over the Trump era, and everyone just needs to relax because it really is not going to be this way for for the foreseeable future. And they're just clinging to this, um, you know, this adrenaline rush that was the last four years. Look, a lie is a lie. A lie is not good when it's on the left. A lie is not good when it's on the right. We're we're looking at circumstances that are being alleged here that are strain, credulity, and it's incumbent on people who have a attachment to reality to say as much. Nevertheless, what the freak out here that we're witnessing on the part of the left is obnoxious and completely unfounded in anything relevant. Um, They're talking as though Mitch McConnell, who says, you know, the president has a legal right to seek relief in the courts. And when he has exhausted those options, which he will very shortly, then we can pursue transition. That is delegitimizing the election results. It is not. Um, they're talking about the General Services Administration, which facilitates this transition, dragging its feet. There was a call that was uh, found some details of it and was released to the press. And it suggested that members of the GSA were going to stall and act like Donald Trump is going to win a second term up to and, and until we can certify the election results That is a threat to the transition. It's been a week. The DOJ saying they're going to investigate substantial allegations, not substantial as in weighty or having a lot of gravity, but substantial as in meritorious, that that is somehow an assault on the integrity of these elections up to and including the point at which functionaries within the DOJ are resigning in protest. This memo doesn't read to me like anything other than a sop to Donald Trump and his ego. It is. It doesn't seem to me if, if 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 whether we're all on the same page that there really aren't very many substantial allegations of voter fraud. Certainly not sufficient to meet the threshold that this memo stipulates must be met, which are sufficient to overturn election results in these states. That that's just not going to happen. And so the freakout is simply unwarranted. But everybody loves the freakout. They want the freakout. That's what they want. They don't want the results to be they don't want they don't want this to end they don't want this this moment to be over it's been well, good for or, everyone. The,
0: or they don't know that it's over i would i would i would uh frame it this way uh, anyone who has gotten divorced knows that there is a moment as you are getting divorced when you cannot stop talking about the injury that has somehow been done to you in in the divorce and you get very tiresome People start rolling their eyes when you talk to them because you're like, they're like, "How is it today?" It's like, "Well, it's sunny," but you know, it was sunny the day that da 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 da. da. And you're like, "Okay, so this happened and that happened, and I can't, you can't." Um, so finally, you break up and you move out or something like that. But as I mentioned yesterday, there is the phenomenon of persistence of vision where you keep seeing the image even that you saw before, even when it shifts. And so Trump lost the election. And uh, it is time to move. But the people who hated him, for the people who hated him, they got what they wanted. Like, he lost. He's going away uh, January 20th. It is going to be over. But they can't stop with the hating. Like, they can't. It's not like, okay, move on to the next chapter. They can't. They're still... They're they've been wound up like a wind up monkey, and they're going to be smashing those symbols together. And that it's I'm been gonna... four years of a wind up, and 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 therefore it's going to take a long time for the monkey's arms to start slowing down with the symbol crash.
1: I want to give you an example. So I reacted to this Washington Post headline, which was like Republicans, you know, contesting election results, and I had this anodyne McConnell quote that I just talked to you about. I said, that's a really strong headline. It doesn't really just isn't justified by the merits of what we're talking about here. And um, Emily Singer, who works for Act Blue now, I believe, um, or she was with Roll Call. She was a political reporter. And now she's on the Democratic advocacy side. And she goes, the election is over. No, there was no fraud. Trump lost. McConnell is doing anything but helping push him and McConnell doing anything but help him pushing uh, him out. And facilitating a peaceful peaceful transition is fuel to the fire. It's an embarrassment, as is your defense of it. Hi, Dudgeon. So much passion. You're so you're so very active in this in this emotional moment of zeal for you. It's over.
0: Let the symbols, the they're, they smashing, want they're
1: smashing together. What well, they want is Repub- the Republican conference to gather on the Capitol steps and tell the president to go pound sand, which would neither A, neither happen, or B, be productive toward the end they seek, which well, is so presumably the president's
2: evacuation from the Oval Office. It, it also, there's a weird undermining of the the obviously effective Biden messaging throughout the campaign of like, let's just get back to normal. Let's just calm everything down. I'm going to restore everybody's soul if you elect me. I, I noted that I, I wondered, I mean, being cynical about some of that kind of messaging, I thought, yeah, well, there's a lot of people who actually enjoy the fight. And even Michelle Obama proved that, right? One of her first statements after Biden won was like, yay, we've won. But think about all the hate and violence and terrible things that all those people who voted for Trump believe in. and And it wasn't actually a healing message. So this idea, and I think that's why it's easy to become kind of both both. Uh, It's both hilarious and deeply cynical. But you look at some of this messaging and you think, who's he talking about? Maybe Joe Biden himself believes that. But I don't see that with his side of the aisle.
3: So here's the thing. Um, Trump fighting the results. It's not just his last chance to uh, try to hang on to the office, however, weekly Um, the rage about it. Is the last chance that the resistance and the left has to make the case that he has sundered democracy because he didn't throughout his term. His term was completed. There were some good things. There were some bad things. There were some outrageous moments. Uh, but we st- we stayed intact. There were, he didn't he didn't destroy the system. This is the- this is the last ch- opportunity that you have to say to, to say, look, he's destroying it on the way out. Okay, can I can I
0: point out can I just point out for a minute Vox, Ezra Klein, the, you know, entrepreneur, creator of Vox, 400 million dollars in stock or whatever the hell he has. Trump is attempting a coup in plain sight. This is one hell of a coup. This is one of the best coups I've ever seen. He's about to lose an election by 7 million vo- votes and 4 points. This is a coup?
1: The August 91 plotters were more competent. Like,
0: how have I, this should be a
2: coup? And his no opponents coup were literally be. dancing outside of his house in long past midnight on the day of the election. Donald no Trump
0: ever- is trying to discredit an election he is losing. But you know what? I mean, yeah, so there will be a bunch of people who think that he was robbed and an election was stolen. You know what? There's all kinds of evidence. There is all kinds of evidence that the 1960 election was stolen in Cook County. No one can definitively prove Illinois was a tipping point state. Votes showed up in Cook County. Kennedy won. The election may have been stolen. Nixon conceded very quickly. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. It's 60 years now, right? People even still talk about it. Does anybody think that... uh, did republic after after that did people actually think that kennedy was an illegitimate president no because by the time february rolls around biden's gonna be president people are going to be on fox saying president biden president biden you know shouldn't be saying that president biden and his socialist policies and every time they say president biden biden is legitimized as president paul krugman Said after 2000, after the Supreme Court ruling, that he would refuse to use the term "president" with Bush because it would legitimize Bush as president. And then, you know, seven weeks later, he's writing columns like "President Bush is." Blah, blah, blah. So, this whole maybe that's new kind of style. This, no, it but just, this whole did, notion that why did Ezra Klein write a piece that says Trump is attempting a coup in plain sight? You know why? For clicks. Right. for clicks maybe he believes it i don't know if he knows what a coup is i don't know what on earth these people think that they're talking about a coup by matter. the way
1: involves the military right not the president you don't have to go back all the way to 1960 you we're talking about Stacey abrams and hillary clinton and joe biden said the same thing donald trump's illegitimacy it doesn't matter it has no legal bearing it the, the threat the I threat that it yeah. the threat that it poses is entirely hypothetical and we have to say that listen. because of the threat that it poses is perceived to be by the theoreticians who submit that it is a threat, that people will perceive it to be a, a, a real thing, that their faith in institutions will continue to decline as though that's not been our status quo for a decade and a half. Right. And that there will be violence in the streets, which never seems to materialize in the forms that people who feel per, per forecast it want it to materialize. Right. It's, it's purely hypothetical. It does the American people a grave disservice and it does our institutions a disservice. It suggests a, a lack of faith in the stability and durability of these institutions, tested institutions.
0: Christine, we are staring down the barrel of divided government, a Washington in a kind of fascinating status quo, though the shoe might be on the other foot. In other words, we had the House investigating, you know, the Republican presidency. Stupidly and in stupid ways, I think, for for you know, and, uh, on, unsuccessfully, and there is going to be this huge temptation for assuming the Georgia seats go the way we think the Georgia seats would will probably go. Uh, there might well be a Senate in the hands of Republicans that does the same thing that the House did against Trump. Uh, Divided government, lots of scandal-mongering. You know, uh, uh, if MSNBC was the network of the uh, anti-Trump conspiracies, Fox will be the network of the anti-Biden conspiracies. And we will find ourselves, as we go through this, um, with not a lot happening. Because do we actually think that McConnell and Biden are going to sit down and make grand bargains? Uh,
2: No, I I, so I'm a fan of divided government. So I actually that was that that sounds like utopia to me, like a a little bit of gridlock, a little less scandal mongering, um, a lot less tweeting from the uh, White House. But they will have to come to some sort of agreement about a covid plan if it doesn't happen between now and January. We do have to think about some of the economic uh, stuff. Where I think we're gonna, there's gonna be the, not unexpected to those of us on the right side of the aisle, but to those perhaps on the left. Is it a lot of the gridlock might be might occur as a result of the infighting among the Democrats because that that ramped up a lot faster than even I assumed it would, and we're talking about you know really small bore uh, fights about who gets what cabinet appointment. Progressives claiming they're going to you know really fight back, and they could spend two years just bickering amongst themselves in the House, leaving the Senate to actually do something useful. And I really do hope that it, we don't spend. You know, time revisiting, you know, uh, Barisma or Hunter Biden, any of that stuff. Um, I—that's I, my hope. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but uh, I actually think we could have a period of some, you know, f- where nothing seems to be getting done, but what's actually happening is a shift back to a more normal kind of divided, uh, sclerotic, and yet uh, capable of compromise in terms of governance.
0: Okay, so l- let me let me let me pa- let me throw this out at you because I mentioned Nixon conceding re- quickly to kennedy uh, a large in part on the grounds as he says in his memoir that america could not could not afford this kind of conflict because of the cold war because we were locked in the you remember 1960 there was a real confrontation with the soviets over the shootdown of francis gary powers um Things were going on in the South China Sea, the famous discussions of the islands of Kimoi and Matsu. Like th- this was the world, it was viewed that the world was in some kind of a, you know, twilight struggle that could erupt into nuclear war at any moment. And, the, and it, it was too serious. Things were way too existentially serious for anything to happen that, that wouldn't be smooth at the presidential level. So we look at the we look at our century now and we're we're publishing a big piece by Nick Eberstadt follow up on his miserable 21st century in our December December issue about more extension of like how bad things badly things have gone particularly for the sort of the the uh, the the underclasses in the United States in in the 21st century we look at the decline in institutions. We look at, uh, you know, the rise in suicides and depression and all that. But there's another way to look at this, which is we have the total luxury to have this ludicrous battle over whether or not the, the election was rightly or wrongly decided. Because zoom out from a 30,000-foot perspective, right? We are uh, – the threat from Islamic radicalism appears to have receded. The Cold War is over. Uh, we are we are in a battle with China, but it is not an existential battle, and we haven't quite figured out how adversarial we ought to be or should be toward China and in which frame, economically or militarily. But that if you consider where we were tw- 15 years ago, after 9-11 or 60 after 9-11 and with forces in Iraq or 35 years ago or longer ago with the cold war and with, you know, staring down uh, the mutual assured destruction situation that historian in 2150 might look and say, you know what the 21st century, you know, with the exception of this horrible strike on, on the world trade center, um, was actually a pretty, uh, you know, and there were economic disruptions because of the meltdown and the coronavirus. But in fact, you know what? I mean, uh, America was, America's primacy was still pretty, pretty certain, and, uh, and so as a result, uh, there was no pressure. Nobody, I don't think, who is having this meltdown about Trump is actually frightened that the country is going to be attacked because of the condition that we are in right now,
1: no, there they're all saying no, these are meritless claims.
0: No, no, but what I am saying in is the same
1: breath; these are meritless claims and also extremely dangerous.
0: No, but you are missing right. So, so all anyone can cite is this is this lunatic conclusion uh, in the nine eleven report written by you know written by young child Ben Rhodes, who we'll get to in a minute, uh, saying that um, the the fact that the transition. Was abbreviated between uh, between the Clinton administration and the Bush administration because of the Florida recount, uh, contributed to a lack of readiness for the threat from Bin Laden in the summer of 9/11, where we could have really done something to prevent, uh, you know, prevent 9/11, which is an which is a preposterous theory.
2: No, it, it was a, it was an actual effort to cover for the Clinton administration, right. You know. Uh, inability or unwillingness to actually take that threat seriously
0: um, yeah right to lower the wall between the domestic and right. and and and, uh, and foreign intelligence agencies and all that so this is my my theory is that we are actually this should remind us that despite all of our woes and concerns and worries and our our general fear that America is in some form of disintegration at the same time. We remain the world's number one power. We remain the most powerful economy in the world. And we do not feel if we were more uncertain and insecure about our existential position, there would be more in the, the idea that Mitch McConnell wouldn't go to Trump and say, give it up because, in fact, this is un- you're making the country unsafe. And I'm going to make my children sleep in a bunker because of you. No one's sleeping in a bunker. No one thinks we're going to get hit by a nuclear weapon. None of that. It's just posturing. That's my theory. And
2: there was there was an interesting article in the Post Washington Post today, which which speaks to this theory because it was all about it was a lengthy uh, uh, article about how the real danger with Trump having lost is that he's going to blab all of these national intelligence secrets once he's out of office. And we know that, you know, presidents have to keep all that information that they all that secret information secret. But Trump won't. Trump's going to. And it was obviously speculation. Now, we do have some concern. I mean, look, he was tweeting out pictures of drone strikes and stuff that he should not have done as president. But I thought it was interesting that uh, this long article had to elaborate on what was basically, what you'd hear someone chat about it over dinner like what if he starts telling people where the ufo's are and, and then, but they took that and seriously turned it into a kind of national security question that the posts felt was worthy of exploring and that actually suggests that you're right john that they that they're creating or manufacturing that crisis a crisis where luckily we don't have one
1: all of this is tribal in-group signaling all of it I don't think anybody really my maybe some people believe it, maybe tens of millions of people believe it, but they also really want to believe it. The people on the left who are forecasting instability and violence as a result of this sort of thing are allowing an, a, a perverse wish to father that thought, because right. we have been, seen the last four years in which the the losing candidate said her opponent was illegitimate, and half the Democratic Party alleged the president was a foreign agent, and guess what happened? Nothing! the institutions functioned just fine. Your solipsistic conception of your virtue and your enemies, you know, lack of any uh, humanity is just a construct you've invented for yourself. And I don't have to give it any credence. Okay, so
0: I, I mentioned that I wanted to talk about Ben Rhodes. So can we talk about Ben Rhodes again? Who is Ben Rhodes? Abe, who's Ben Rhodes?
3: The deputy
0: uh, secretary, national security advisor. Yeah, yeah, for for Barack Obama, right? Ben Rhodes, deputy, uh, helped write the nine eleven report. Then went to work as a speechwriter on the National Security Council. Uh, Obama liked him. He rose to a position of communications director, deputy national security advisor, and uh, in that position, was interviewed by David Samuels for the New York Times Magazine. Right. What Ben Rhodes said was, I got all these morons in the press who know nothing and I can tell them anything and they'll just retail all of it for me in an echo chamber. It's really fantastic. Imagining, I think, that David was like on his side here uh, and basically revealing this unholy alliance between, uh, you know, the Obama White House and this echo chamber of young, uh, know nothing, uh, you know, uh, online journalists who would basically just take dictation, say whatever they wanted to say, right? So that was Ben Rhodes. Uh, I bring this up because Ben Rhodes was on, I believe, MSNBC. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if it was MSNBC or not, but uh, I need to find the tweet here. So he said, um. One sec. Yeah, he was on Nicole Wallace's show, and he said the following, quote, here's the thing. The Trump people seem to be talking like they have some agency here. This is what he's sort of agreeing with Noah. They're going to have the pageantry already of the president-elect announcing his advisory board. Biden's going to start announcing cabinet secretaries, the center of political gravity in the country, and the world is shifting to Joe Biden. Uh, Foreign leaders are already having phone calls with Joe Biden talking about the agenda they're going to pursue January 20th. Um, Does anybody remember that... uh, uh, Logan
2: Act, Logan Act. I'm sorry. (laughs) You've triggered the Logan Act.
0: (laughs) We just had Michael Flynn subjected to an unjust prosecution and persecution for years because the president-elect of the United States asked him to call... The Soviet ambassador, and tell the Soviet ambassador to stand down, to, to send a message to to Putin to stand down and not expel Americans from Moscow if he wanted good relations with the United States. And he was walked into some weird perjury trap by by FBI agents, and then spent three and a half years in hell because during the transition period, on the direct orders of the president-elect of the United States, he had a phone call with a Russian leader and people like Ben Rhodes said this was justified and Barack Obama and Joe Biden and various other people unmasked voices on calls, Susan Rice and all of this. And now Ben Rhodes airily goes on television and says that Joe Biden is in touch with and talking to foreign leaders about how to get, you know, hit the ground running on January 20th. Is anybody else... Like do, do anybody else, like I mean, I don't even know what adjective to use to describe the feelings that I have reading this, Abe. Well, I mean, an you know, adjective you know, hypocritical is far too light,
3: isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, although that's not how you. How, it's not about how you feel, but it's a, it's about uh, uh, the the conduct of Rhodes and right. and those like him. Um. Yeah. No. But, but that's. Look, the maddening thing about trying to make sense of everything that's happening is that it, it, it's it's it sounds mealy mouth, but it's the opposite, is that every awful thing ping pongs back and forth from side to side, depending on the circumstance. I mean, it's it's it, that is that has been the story um, of the last four
0: years. Right. But I mean, how are we how are we to grapple with the fact that the uh, panic that greeted the election of Donald Trump in 2016, this unconventional candidate who regarded no niceties and followed no observable bounds of personal conduct and therefore uh, engendered, including talking about the Russians and Putin and all this in a way that was very unnerving. I think we can all agree that we were all unnerved by it, uh, triggered this uh, notion that the thing to do was to pursue him and pursue, his, pursue the people who were carrying out his policies in a criminal manner in order to get them to go to jail because he was pursuing policies in a way that they did not like, which was the entire purpose of the special prosecutor. Andrew Weissman, the deputy of of uh of robert Mueller, another msnbc person goes on yesterday and lays out delineates how how bill barr is creating the legal conditions for a coup okay andrew weissman wrote a book in which he said basically i would have indicted trump uh, for, you know, uh, for being a Russian agent or for whatever, whatever, you know, effectively for being a Russian agent, but Mueller wouldn't let me. And you know what? Mueller wouldn't let him because it's not true. He's not a Russian agent. It didn't happen.
1: He's Here's not- what gets my dander up. Okay. It really, really pisses me off. You get no credit if you predicted the future. If you accurately assessed what events would follow... A very complicated series of events would follow. Uh, two years of investigations. Then, good for you. But it was a guess. You had no authority to make that assessment. When the when the investigations are conducted and we can have a thorough understanding of events as the the impeachment proceedings and the Mueller probe re- discovered, we can make an assessment that is educated and founded in investigate in a forensic analysis of the events of 2016 and. Then you can make a proper assessment. When you hold fast to your conclusion, one way or the other, that is not supported by the evidence, then you deserve to get beat around the shoulders for it because you're being a blinkered idiot. But you have to wait for the investigation to occur. And when it has occurred, then you can render a rational assessment. Similarly, everybody out here freaking out over Donald Trump saying, look, the election was stolen, you've got avenues that will investigate this will determine the merits of these claims and likely dismiss them. The president isn't going to get all of Pennsylvania's votes thrown out. You lunatics. Where are you freaking out over this? It's all going to be fine. And we're all going to have all the relevant information in very short order. People are married to their anxiety. They're married to their conspiracy theories. They're exculpatory. They're, they absolve them of their fault and their lots in their lives. Great. Hold fast to it. But don't make me have to genuflect before the altar of your insecurity I don't care.
3: Uh, no, I, I'm inspired by uh, your, um, your exercising of your uh, outrage here. So uh, I want to also um, mention what is driving me most crazy about this moment. It's related to what we were talking about before uh, regarding um, how the left up until the moment Biden won um, was um, talking about how this would be fraudulent. But it's actually a slightly different point. And it's this up until the moment Biden won, the left. Speaking broadly, was talking about what a corrupt system this was. That we needed that we needed to uh, uh, pack the courts. Um, they were very sympathetic to the revolutionaries who were who have been in the streets for months, talking about tearing down this fundamentally um, morally r- wrong um, system that was that was that was uh, a sort of moral travesty at its founding. And this now is the system that they are now saying, oh, it's so precious It's that, that we, we can't let Donald Trump tear down this precious, beautiful, wonderful American thing. That's not how we do things here. We have a great tradition of peaceful transfers when you have this and that and democracy. Before this, democracy was false. Everyone, Everyone was disenfranchised. This was we, – we needed big changes. People were being unheard. I mean – and now they are clinging to the idea that America is this is this wonderful, beautiful democratic system that, that can't –
0: that pristine that cannot be that, – that cannot be tainted. It reminds me of two things. One – the notorious statement Michelle Obama made in 2008 when she said for the first time she was proud of her country. Why? Because it like was making her husband the Democratic nominee. Uh, before then, she had no pride in the country until it gave her family something specific. Then she could have pride in it. Maybe the fact that he could even be considered as a possible candidate was itself a matter that should cause her to revisit her priors and understand the extraordinary transformations possible in the American body politic that could take this 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 kid born in Hawaii only months after it became a state, whose father was a was a Kenyan uh, immigrant, uh, and and end up as president of the United States forty seven years later. No, but that was only she could only be proud then when it was handing her, you know, a $2 billion bill and to put it in her pocket, right? And then in 2016, similarly, uh, Donald Trump rising up and saying that America was stupid and everything was terrible. Then the Democrats had a convention at which the idea was, don't you drag on my country. Don't you talk down to my country. This is the greatest country on earth. I am a patriot, da-da-da-da-da-da. And then, and then Trump wins, and what happens? Fascism. America's a fascist country. Here we are. Welcome to fascist America. It's a coup. You're haters. It's Charlottesville. Everyone's a racist. You know, cops are killing black people. Everything is terrible. And now, Biden won. It's, the you know... Wave the flag! Whoa. Okay, you know, but but this is MLA actually where commercials for but, everyone.
2: But this is where I think we are in a moment of weird and deep confusion because that you're right. Those flip flops have occurred pretty seamlessly, but not exactly this time. Yes, you're seeing a lot of flag waving. Yes, there's a lot of oh unity talk. But in fact, if you look at a lot of the kind of cultural elite on the left who were watching the election in real time, they were not bringing back those messages. I mean, a lot of the New York Times reporters were like, oh, we finally see how racist our country remains because the election wasn't a landslide for Biden. It was close, much closer than most of them expected, much closer than most of us expected. So they're trying to rationalize that while still, you know, supporting the system that suddenly is good again, because it did elect Biden, but they're still really pissed off that all these people liked someone like Trump, and they're trying to square that circle. And I think that confusion is causing a lot of this weird right. Uh, messaging. Right. And, and by the way, and vice
1: on both, yeah. both sides of the political spectrum, and they, you know, they mask it in this notion, well, you know, you should, you should be skeptical of your government and question your history and when your country does things that are wrong you should be able to come out against it but what they really mean is when the results go our way when we'll be patriotic and when they don't we're not and that that's not exclusive to the left though it is far more pronounced no it's not
0: exclusive to the left at all i got a, i got one more hypocrisy and then we then we then we got a, a we got a split for the day uh it was revealed yesterday that christine rosen's favorite politician Washington D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser. <laughs> oh yes. Uh, who has imposed a uh, qu- a necessary quarantine? If D.C. residents or people coming into D.C. from out of state return to D.C., that they must quarantine for two weeks. For two weeks, Muriel Bowser went to Philadelphia. To attend the Biden Harris speech, acceptance speech celebration on Saturday night. With her staff? With her staff, and then returned to DC and hasn't quarantined. Well, so why is
2: that? Oh, because it was essential. Travel and the, it's worse than that because D.C. remains one of the cities that has fairly draconian lockdown restrictions, particularly uh, particularly tough ones for if you're a small business owner. And she's constantly, you know, we also do not have schools. Where none of our D.C. public school students, including my kids, have got, been able to go back to school. So they're all learning virtually. And to see a picture of Miro Bowser and her staff standing crammed in with all kinds of people at a party. Yes, they had masks on, but they were not socially distanced. To see her partying, calling that essential travel, while people cannot attend funerals, go to church, go to school, all of these things. I was actually, I've been heartened in the last few hours to watch the backlash. The hypocrisy is so... Terrible. I mean, she could have watched the speech virtually. She could have participated as lots of people have been forced to virtually. But she called that essential, and she's not quarantining. She claims she doesn't have to. Um, it's ridiculous. That kind of hypocrisy, I think, will will have uh, long term effects for for the political leaders who are doing this with regard to COVID. We're seeing a lot of that now among Democratic leaders. Um, but hers was particularly appalling for those of us who live here in the district
0: and we haven't even celebrated the 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 apparent discovery of a of a workable or functioning uh vaccine uh by 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 Pfizer which is the first this this comes at a moment when we are seeing this astounding rise in case numbers uh we should stipulate by the way that the astounding rise in case numbers uh which is very frightening uh may have two different roots one of which is the testing is now much more widespread and so we now know how many more people many more people have it because we know it than they did and it's testing in 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 rural places and all that where there was m- much less before and the other is of course that though the death rates are are rising um the case numbers that we're seeing, if they had taken place in, you know, in the in the spring in New York, uh, there would be every reason to believe that these that the the death rates would be like catastrophically higher, and that apparently we know much more about how to treat these things so that the treatment doesn't inadvertently end up uh, triggering, a, you know, a fatality. Um, or that the disease is is degenerating to some degree, or something like that. That 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 the vaccine should come at this moment, and everything. By the way, which is very important to note that the the head of Pfizer said that he only found out that the va- he only got the reports on the, on the on the on the on the efficacy of the vaccine at two p.m. Saturday, Sunday afternoon. Didn't get it before the election. Didn't get the conspiracy theories being peddled. Is not. True, unless you know a horrible lie is being told, which I sort and they of still doubt.
2: have to do more more safety testing. Yeah. Another
0: couple months, of right, right, following. Right.
2: Yeah. But the whole point is that we have this rise. Oh, I don't. Cases. I don't know if that's true. I read
1: recent that they're going to seek an emergency FDA approval this month.
0: Well, they are, but there's some. There's some. I don't. Know. First of all, there's weird things about this. Their their vaccine, as opposed to Moderna's, requires being uh, b- being p- kept stored. At 94 degrees uh, below zero, um, which, of course, creates an entirely different set of freezing freezer problems where they have to distribute, they're going to have to distribute tens of thousands of freezers to hold these things, whereas Moderna's only needs to be kept at nine degrees uh, below zero. I don't know. Anyway, whatever it is, these are complicated things. But we were looking at a descent into despair again, I would say. Uh, about COVID, particularly as people aren't going back to school and haven't been going and all this, that may be vitiated here or, or prevented by this uh, beacon of hope and, and a real, you know, view at what might be an end to this period. It might take a year for it to be really fully distributed and everybody, you know, out of all, you know, concern and care, um, But this is good news, and yet, what is everybody screaming about? Bill Barr writing a letter saying maybe you could investigate voting irregularities if they are of a sufficient size.
1: Well, it's very good news, but let me go ahead and dash your hope. Um, So in New Jersey, where I live, they're now reimposing lockdown restrictions. Um, We do not have anything remotely resembling the caseloads that we had in the spring, and certainly nothing resembling what's going on in the upper Midwest right now, but Proactivity is the watchword. And so the governor is imposing restrictions on outdoor dining, indoor dining, no bar tops, close at 10pm. You must be enclosed in a bubble if you're outside, as though people have these things just lying around. And um, this to me makes absolutely no sense. These institutions, these businesses barely survived. You're now asking them to take a cyanide caplet because they cannot support themselves on the kind of revenue they're generating now, much less reduced revenue. And the problem here is not dining; it is indoor gatherings in individual homes. So what you're doing now is creating incentives to gather in places that are not that do not have proper ventilation, that do not have disinfection protocols like these restaurants do. They are deliberately just playing theater here, which is only going to make everything worse. And there's no relief in sight. I had a terrible conversation with my local uh, dry cleaner the other day who had to liquidate his business because no one needs dry cleaning anymore. And PPP has gone. There's nothing left for them. They're just telling you to shut down and deal with the consequences, whatever they may be, without any relief in sight on the horizon. Um, It's it's a condition that is untenable. I don't understand how they will even enforce this in the absence of police going door to door. And making sure that this can't happen. Because people aren't gonna survive this. Businesses won't survive this. Uh oh. Noah. Can you yeah, No, you ahead.
0: should
3: also you should also talk about how sorry, we um, just
0: had it we just had a bit of a sound glitch. Go ahead, Abe. It's my fault. Um
3: yesterday you wrote a post, Noah, about um uh people like Andrew Cuomo pouring cold water on the good Pfizer News anyway.
1: Oh yeah. No, he said it was good and bad news. Good news because there's a vaccine. You know, that's good. Bad news because Donald Trump is still president. No joke. It's literally what he said because (laughs) Donald Trump will be presiding over the distribution of this vaccine. And that's bad because he's going to rely on the private sector to do it as though there's another alternative mechanism, as though Joe Biden doesn't have the precise same plan. As though
2: the private sector didn't develop the vaccine in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) No, it,
1: it really is. It's utterly baseless. And it was confounding the extent to which he was allowed the latitude on ABC's Good Morning America to just spout this nonsense without any pushback. If the alter- if the roles partisan roles were reversed, the universe would come down around George Stephanopoulos' shoulders for allowing him that kind of runway. Um,
0: I still think Noah, that your 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 uh, very ha- you know the heartfelt uh, you know rant against uh, Governor Murphy's uh, draconian policies. Uh, the whole point is that there, there is hope on the horizon. It's not in the next four weeks, but uh, there was none. I mean, it it was all speculative and we now really do see an actual Avenue. And uh, by, by the way, there are still the other vaccines involved in operation warp speed are still also under development. So uh, you know, often you might have a couple of different things because they might target that this is an RNA one and there'll be a different one, whatever. Anyway, it's good news. And yes, Andrew Cuomo is a garbage human being who should be thrown in a garbage can and the garbage can should be rolled off of Niagara Falls and into the water. Um, but he's an extreme example on that one side. Uh, and, and you know, it's... it. It's good news, but the, but the, the the life of um, the world that focuses on, you know, what 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 uh, Mercedes Schlapp is doing in Nevada uh, can't again get away from the, did you hear what my ex-husband did 30 minutes ago? I can't believe it. He just sent me an email. You want to read it? It's going to drive you. It's so disgusting. Broken up, like it's okay. Delete the email. Um. So we'll be back tomorrow for Abe, Christine, and Noah. I'm John Podhoretz. Keep the candle burning.